I'm not a role model, I was briefly a runway model I hate the AM, I hate the PM He hates the PM? Let's fucking go! Back in the day when YouTube video essays weren't something every white boy with free time was posting, there was an active channel called Every Frame a Painting. It had a beautiful perspective on so many topics, and I can't recommend the now-retired channel's videos enough. But that's not why I'm mentioning it now. I mention it because of its name. My understanding of the name was always that with a medium like film, and with the right approach and understanding, every single frame did have the potential to be a painting. It was entirely dependent on the craft and capability of the people behind of and in front of the camera. However, never have I experienced a clearer example of every frame being a painting than I have in Across the Spider-Verse. And I mean that in every sense of the phrase. In a literal sense, whether it be the artistic stylings of Gwen's watercolor world, the harsh, jagged, withered edges of Miguel O'Hara's expressions, or even individual character designs. Everything is so distinct and intentional and beautiful that it's a crime to ignore and impossible not to admire. Spider-Punk's design is heavily based on the punk band posters and flyers you might see spattered across walls, and reminds me of something straight out of Guitar Hero's art direction. The vulture we see in the opening is a beautiful sepia papier-mâché that's as out of place and distinct as it is gorgeous and striking. Even the spot evolves from something of Miles' own world to a character that looks like he's been composed of harsh, sharp scribbles carved into the black papers of a Batman the Animated Series episode. Beyond the purely visual, which I could probably talk about for the entirety of the video anyway, there is intentionality with every single character, big or small. Specifically looking at the newer major players, the Spider Team version 2, we can see this. Spider-Punk is a rebellious anarchist, anti-establishment in every way, and is essential in inspiring Miles to break out of the mold being forced upon him, both figuratively and literally. Paviter Prabhakar and his world show the brighter, sunnier disposition of a Spider-Man who has everything going his way. He's what the idealized version of heroism could be, someone who is joyful in their naivete when it comes to how cruel the world can be for those burdened with great responsibility. His world quite nearly collapses due to his role as a hero, in large part because of Miles. But Miles is also the only one to save a particularly special part of Paviter's world. And Paviter, much like Miles, is the only other spider to verbally state and truly believe that they can do both. Peter B. is ever the mentor and attempts to offer some solace as the Spider-Man who has been through so much unimaginable tragedy, but has come out bearing a diamond from the rough. He is a Spider-Man who has made the most of his, at times, terrible situation. But more importantly, he was a Spider-Man who has positively changed in an unforeseen way by the anomaly that is the Spider-Man of Earth-1610, the anomaly that is Miles Morales. Mayday, Peter B.'s daughter, is a manifestation of the good that this refusal of accepting the gloomy, doomed, depressing fate of Spider-Man can bring. She's a beacon of happiness and hope in the oppressive, unrelenting dominion of the canon and its unbending nature. And then there's the arbiter of the canon himself, Miguel O'Hara. Miguel, the Spider-Man of 2099, makes such a perfect antagonist and foil to Miles. Here's someone who has lost everything, who has brought together everyone across every reality, up against someone who refuses to lose anyone else and finds themselves almost entirely alone in their pursuit of saving every life they can, no matter what the theoretical cost might be. 
It's so compelling because it's just so understandable. We're obviously rooting for Miles, but we're lying if we say we can't sympathize with Miguel and understand why he's so rooted in his moral calculus. He himself has paid the price and won't let anyone else go through that sort of unintended consequence ever again. In his own way, he is a hero. He's just not the hero of this particular story. And like any good hero, he's entirely unstoppable in his pursuit of his goal. But in this pursuit, he's lost sight of the trees. Miguel and his entire spider society, in pursuit of their noble goal, can now only see the forest. No one tree is perceptible to them anymore, and Miles, our Spider-Man, is fundamentally at odds with this view. Because these trees build the forest. Without each individual tree, there is no forest. And without each individual life that Spider-Man saves, no matter how big or small, there is no hero under the mask. This is what Miles fundamentally understands, and this position is what Miles finds himself firmly rooted in. As another great hero once said, It doesn't matter if the whole country or multiverse decides that something wrong is right. This job was founded on one principle above all else, the requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, No, you move. Miles, through his immovable conviction to save every single life that he can, defines heroism. And when this conviction runs up against the possibility of the greater good, all of the film's drama pours out. It's an impossible choice for Miles to make, and it's one that he cannot detach himself from. So he does what he knows best. He tries to do both, to have it all. Inevitably, it seems he might fail, as is the destiny of all Spider-Men. After all, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Unless you have two cakes. Or unless, maybe, you're the one anomaly able to make things truly different. Make the world changed for the better. Like Miles did for Peter B. Parker, or for Spider-Ham, or Penny Parker, or even Spider-Noir. Or Gwen. Gwen. This is her movie. If the beautiful, jaw-dropping visuals of her world and her emotional beats didn't clue you in on that, I can lay it out for you. She's going through the same hardship as Miles, she just took a different route to wind up at the same destination. She's a reflection of what Miles could be and a testament to what he can inspire. At the start of this film, we see Gwen up against the anomalies of the multiverse, against a vulture of another reality. As if the hardships of being hunted by her own father weren't enough, now there's this. And at the end of all of this, her father, the police captain responsible for the no-holds-barred hunt for the Spider-Woman, is in mortal danger. Of course, she saves him because that's what Spider-People do. But after this, when she's entirely broken down and exhausted, he confronts her. He demands that she be held responsible for the death of his daughter's best friend, Peter Parker. And it pushes her beyond her breaking point. She needs a way out, an escape from the suffering that the Spider-Logo brings to its wearer. She's jaded and broken and outcast, the last light in her life and tether of a relationship finally collapsed in a painful and emotionally destructive blaze of glory. She chooses to enlist in Miguel's army and goes about the multiverse, distantly doing what needs to be done to keep it all afloat. And then she finds Miles. She finds this light in the dark that brought her out of the shadows the last time she was in a dark and lonely place. And she can't help but start to be affected again. Be impacted by this one Spider-Man who, above all Spider-People, seems to be different from the rest. Just a little more hopeful. Just a little more connected. Just a little more human where it seems to matter. 
and Gwen, seeing the heart and the passion and the heroism that Miles displays, is able to become her own hero. She's able to return to her world and face the hard conversation she needs to have with her father. Gwen is drawn in, and so are we. As the world around her disappears, as the colors of the apartment fade and seep while her reality is reduced to just her and her father, they reconnect. The two pained souls, intertwined in their loss and linked by blood, rekindle with one another in an emotional, colorful explosion that just seems to burst out of the frame. All of it is beautiful because of the relationship it's based in. Those relationships are the core of this film and are what give it its heart. Miles and his parents are the other side of this strained coin across the multiverse. His double life creates conflict between them, with Jeff and Rio struggling to reconcile the boy they knew and loved with the man Miles is becoming and the son that they still love. This rocky moment in their lives, a moment almost every parent or child in the world can resonate with, is a constant through the film. Miles' conversations with Rio and Jeff serve not only to inform and reconcile, but to inspire. Their love for one another is still there, and that is always clear. It's just a little harder to express than it used to be. In spite of that, Rio still opens up to Miles and tells him everything that he needs to hear. That he's already everything he needs to be, and not to let anyone else tell him otherwise. That's what makes Miles, Miles. The entire thing is such a beautiful tapestry of emotion and ideas. Woven with insane attention to detail and care and intentionality, it's no wonder the movie is as good as it is. I was enthralled, engaged, and my ass was glued to my seat until the very last minute, and I was devastated that I'm gonna need to wait for a sequel to wrap it all up. That investment is a pure testament to what was put to screen. So, I've been talking for a while now, and that's because this movie just gives me so much to talk about, with about a thousand desktop backgrounds waiting to be released in 4K. There's so much for your ears to tune into, whether it be the inspired soundtrack, or the brilliant, convincing voice acting of actors tugging at our heartstrings, or even other ones shifting their tone from being a bumbling fool and morphing into an insidious enemy. There's so much drama for us to immerse ourselves in, be it Miles' family dynamics and the complicated web of lies he gets trapped in due to his double life, or Gwen's own hardships, or even just the struggles of Miles' first love. This drama, this human drama, is what connects all of the thousands of threads of care in the Spider-Verse to one another. Much like every good story, it's not about the explosions or the exposition or the wall crawling, it's about the people at the center of it all. Their relationships with one another, and how those all change and develop on screen. That's what keeps us in our seats, and that's what brings us back to these characters. That's what keeps us thinking about them long after the credits roll. Recently, I listened to a podcast that featured writer-director Christopher McQuarrie. He mentioned how most filmmakers feel trapped and feel forced to choose between the duality of either creating art or creating entertainment. But he spoke about how he believes truly impactful films and experiences are those which manage to merge the two into one. Those that are just as beautiful as they are fun. Those who manage to have their cake and eat it too. Those who can do both. That's what Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is to me. It is a film that, through care and intentionality that are present from the first logo until the final name in the credits, does both. It achieves both with vibrant, flying, bombastic colors. I give it 4.5 out of 5 stars. I'd rate it higher, but the last half star is pending on them sticking the landing with the third installment in the trilogy, though I have every confidence that they will. Until next time.